Travels with Charlie is paid for by Jolly Convenience Stores, Mill Travel American Express, and Casella Waste. The views and opinions expressed in Travels with Charlie do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to WDEV at RadioVermont.com. Well, it's all about all the folks you meet. Sitting in a diner or out in the street. Catch up with the news. Get your point of view. I want to hear what unravels. I'll see you in my travel. I'll be hanging round, covering lots of ground. And good afternoon. Welcome to Travels with Charlie, your host, Charlie Papillo. We have a great show lined up for you today. We'll get into that in just a moment. And, of course, uh, thanks to all of my sponsors. But uh, before we do all of that, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, the, the happenings. And you've been hearing about it all day today, whether you've been watching TV or listening to radio. Brad Furlan had a great show earlier today here on WDEV. And, uh, you know, talking to a pilot who was in the air uh, flying an F-16 uh, after the, that, those events uh, 22 years ago. It's hard to forget. Um, in my remembrance, uh, of course, uh, I was on the air doing a morning show at the time with my partner, Ernie Farrar. And uh, like many people, at first when we heard about it, we thought, oh, a Cessna has gone into one of the uh, Twin Towers. And uh, then when the second one went in, we realized that it was not a Cessna. It was a terror attack. And it kind of changed things, uh, you know, going forward uh, from that point on. And especially uh, as I look back and even, you know, thinking about doing a show today, it, it brings back, uh, you know, uh, little bits of trauma. It, it's hard to do. And I remember how difficult it was the next day to do the program because Ernie and I would do a, you know, we did a lighthearted kind of show and we had fun and games and things like that. And you just didn't do it when you, you when you came back the next day. It, it was very, very difficult. And I'll, I'll tell just a quick story, and we'll get into our, our program here in a moment. But uh, uh, I, I recall there was a VH1, for those of you, you know, the, the old one of the video uh, TV shows, uh, VH1. They sponsored a concert in New York City, and it was kind of to, you know, thank the people that had uh, that had helped out on that horrible day and to um, commemorate those that had lost their lives and, and musicians from all, all over the world came together and they put on a concert and, and raised money and raised awareness. And there was a gentleman, uh, his last name was Moran. His brother was Mike Moran. Mike Moran was a firefighter that lost his life that day in New York City. And the, he got up on stage and he sort of broke the ice. You know, many people were feeling tense that night. And he came out and he, he made a, a great, uh, great talk about his, his brother. And then he just looked at the camera and I will censor it, but it was not censored back then. It's not a filthy word. It's, you know, the name of a donkey, but he said, Osama bin Laden, you can kiss my royal Irish fill in the blank. And the crowd went wild. A, a record producer, a music producer in Los Angeles heard that that evening. And he wrote a song called The Ballad of Mike Moran. And a copy was sent to Ernie and I. And we got it and we listened to it. And I said, you know, Ernie, we need to play this song until they capture or kill Osama bin Laden. And we made that a vow. And every day that we did a show, 
We started the show with the ballad of Mike Moran. And people, you know, four or five years later would ask, why are you playing that song? And we'd have to remind them why. And when Osama bin Laden is no longer with us, we will no longer play the song. And I remember the day that we were able to say, we're no longer playing that song again. Um, well, we move on. And nonetheless, uh, some of you are feeling some pain today. Maybe um, you have some memories of that. And, uh, you know, we might have a chance to talk about that a little bit today. But uh, as I mentioned, we've got a, a fantastic show for you today. First, I do want to thank my sponsors because this show would not happen without uh, the help of my sponsors, Casella Waste Systems, Casella.com with zero sort recycling, helping to keep it out of the landfill. And if you need a dumpster at your home to do a big cleanup, they are there to help you, Casella.com. If you're on the road like me and you're traveling, looking for hot coffee, sandwiches, snacks, ice cold drinks, or filling up your uh, tank as well as your belly, uh, Jolly Convenience Stores, home of the Daily Smile. And if you're traveling, Milne Travel, milnetravel.com. They've been doing it since 1975. And, of course, my good friends at Myers Bagel Cafe. They're now known as Myers Wood Fired. They've always been wood fired, but they've added pizza to the menu. I'm not sure if they're doing it just yet, but they will be doing it very shortly. You know, they have delicious sandwiches and flavored cream cheeses, and they are now at 408 Shelburne Road in South Burlington, MyersBagels.com. All right, today's program... Coming up, we're going to be talking with uh, Kevin Companion from the Giant Pumpkin Growers Association. They have their Giant Pumpkin Way in this Saturday at Sam Mass's Farm Stand in Colchester. That's going to be starting at noontime. But my first guest, who is sitting in studio with me, and this is so wonderful because she's been a guest so many years on, the, on my other program, many times with Spooky Tuesday tarot card readings we've done that with her she's yeah, she's done readings for me uh and 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 so much more and she founded queen city ghost walk uh she's authored six books and she's here today with her latest book true crime stories of burlington vermont won't you please welcome thea lewis well thank you for having me and i remember that tarot reading came true so yeah <laughs> what exactly was it now it was about your business oh my yeah. goodness about the and pizza i had business, i right? had no idea that at the time yeah that you were going to be engaging in a pizza business yeah and uh, and so the cards said that you were going to be that you were going to be branching out and taking on this this sideline that you were going to be going into this yeah. new venture yeah and that was that was weird now, are you still doing tarot readings? I do tarot readings very occasionally, but yeah. I, I haven't been doing them lately because Queen City Ghost Walk is going to be going through some changes this season. We've got two lovely young women who are going to be guides along with me this yeah. year. So when now they'll people, be doing separate tours. They'll right? be doing separate tours. Yeah. So you uh, you might see me. You might see Holly, who is um, uh, the, sort of the, the grand dam or queen of Burlington cemeteries. She's the person who... If you need to have a loved one interred or if you need information about the cemetery, she's the one who answers your questions. So she's super knowledgeable and has a great interest in uh, paranormal. And then Rebecca is our other guide, and she is a music composer who composes music that people have probably heard on their favorite streaming services really? on, on shows, uh, you know, on um, AMC. And so, yeah. And nice. uh, and so they're both really in tune with what we're doing. They're both a lot of fun and people are going to enjoy them a lot. Fantastic. Now, how many years have you been doing the tours? So this is our 21st year. Wow. Is that crazy? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. 
You know, I say it, you know, it doesn't keep me off the streets, but yeah. it keeps me busy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't keep you off the streets. It does not, uh, yeah. So you, you do uh, the the ghost walk and then, the, you know, cemetery tours. Yeah, it's the, so the Darkness right? Falls tours yeah. downtown. Yeah. And then we do Elmwood and Lakeview Cemetery. We have a Ghosts and Legends of Lake Champlain tour of the waterfront. And this year we're going to return to... An event that was very popular last year in a different location. Yeah. Last year we had an event called Here for the Booze. Yeah. B O O S. Yeah. And it sold out. Yeah. And but there is booze involved. There is booze involved. With a Z and an E. Yeah. And so <laughs> this year we're going to be in the Frank Lloyd Wright room at Three Needs. And it's limited capacity, but it's going to be a cash bar and a big savory and sweet hors d'oeuvre buffet. Very nobody's nice. nobody's going to go away hungry. Nice. And I'm going to be telling ghost stories and giving people the business. Fantastic. Thea Lewis, my guest this afternoon on Travels with Charlie. She has a new book out. It's called True Crime Stories of Burlington, Vermont. And we'll get into that in just a moment. A little more on your background. Uh, those of you tuning in might go, I rec- I've heard that voice somewhere before. And it wasn't on the Charlie and Ernie show. It was somewhere else. Uh, of course, a copywriter and, uh, and producer, commercial producer and voiceover artist, on a WCAX TV channel three. Yeah. How many years did you do that? Twenty three. Yeah. Twenty three. It's funny. Just recently, there was some kind of mix up with a couple of prescriptions that I needed. Yeah. And so I called. Uh, I called the place where I always get my prescriptions. Yeah. I won't plug them, but this nice young man has been there for about. 10, 12 years. And he's always so sweet when I go in. So we got it situated on the phone. And when I went in to get my pills, he looked at me and he said, oh, my gosh, Thea, I've been trying for years to figure out how I know you. And I realized I realized that every day that I was homesick from school, I was listening to you do the community events. Can, can you, you give, us, give us a tagline for one of the uh, commercials? Was it uh, Queen City Beds or something like that? Or? Oh, my gosh. So um, the, the one that I used to do a lot was yeah. um, because at Foster Motors, and then you would hear the Foster Motors team say, we care. So, yeah. Uh, Unbelievable. You know, as I look at this book that you did uh, on, on true crime stories in, in Burlington, and it's not just, you know, within 1960 and up. It's Some of them go way back to the early 1900s. I can't imagine the research that you had to do this. And, and where did you go? I mean, one would think, okay, so you go to the archives, you go to Burlington Free Press or whatever, but you can't look through every newspaper and say, oh, here's an interesting story. Did you have some clue about what you were looking for, or, or did you just go through the archives and say, here's one, we got to write about it? Not not always. So there's one story in there, um, and, and it's it's a story about a woman who lived on Burlington's waterfront, Battery Street, old rough-and-tumble Battery Street yeah. back in the day, yeah. even in the late 1800s and early 1900s. The place had a reputation because it was a a place where there was a lot of prostitution. There were lumber yards. It was pretty rough and tumble. So uh, Miss May B... Miss Maybe down on the waterfront. Uh, she she had a had a more formal name, but this was a woman who people have got to read the story. Um, she thwarted local police left and right. What she was was a rabble rouser who couldn't get along with her neighbors. Yeah, and um, she was just trouble from the word go. But when the police would try to apprehend her, she would apparently was quite fleet of foot, and she would simply run away. <laughs> They said she ran like a deer, that one. So so that was one I found quite by accident, and yeah. I don't even remember how, but my sources are usually um, – I Google a lot, 
I use Ancestry yeah. a lot. Um, Do you get recommendations from people? I know when we did the radio program, people would call in about they they thought something was there was a haunting at some home oh, or something, yeah. and you would look into it. Particular, yeah. Um, particularly, um, I've got a chapter of um, of unsolved crimes that are from the you know from the annals of the Vermont State Police, yeah. and there are all these unsolved crimes, and. Um, there was one that wasn't on my radar. Um, there's a, a woman named Big Bobby who was a waitress who whose body was found um, just below the Winooski Bridge on the rocks there um, in the river. Yeah. And it seemed very suspicious. If you read it, the idea that they ended up saying no foul play was kind of crazy. But that was something that my mom knew something about. And I had heard that story uh Oh, years ago, when I was maybe 10 or 11 years old, I heard her talking about it with a family member. And then, you know, years later, fast forward to me researching the book, and I had to say, what was the name of that woman you told me about? Yeah. And and she knew who it was. But, now, how did you get interested in all of this? First off with, uh, you know, the ghost tours and then, you know, with crime. I mean, as a copywriter and, uh, you know, a producer of commercials, when did you – sort of realized that you had this interest in, in this and turn it into a business. You know, it's funny. Before I ever thought of writing a book, a couple of seasons ago, um, maybe right before the pandemic, I started doing some true crime bus tours. And I don't know what I don't know what spurred me in particular. I guess I just heard of a couple of stories and then knew that there were a couple of really meaty stories downtown. And I, and I thought I could really, I could do this tour and people would like it. And it would be another thing we would offer. And then my publisher, uh, finding out that I had done these true crime tours got in touch with me and said, um, you know, we're looking for a true crime offering for Burlington. Would you like to write it? And I said, absolutely. Sure, I would. But I have to say that, you know, uh, as a kid who, who grew up uh, a lot of the time, uh, we did live in other places, but I was born in Burlington. Mm-hmm. We came back. I grew up in the old North End. I got to rub elbows with some pretty interesting people. Yeah, well, we'll get into that. I mean, there's actually, I think, a couple of uh, chapters in here where you're familiar with uh, the perpetrators. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Thea Lewis, my guest this afternoon on Travels with Charlie. Uh, if you have a question or comment, we'd love to hear from you. 244-1777 or 1-877-291-8255. Maybe you have a tip like her to investigate and we'd love to hear from you as well we will take a quick break and then when we come back we'll continue our conversation first i gotta you know here we are talking about burlington and uh, you know in burlington myers bagel cafe myers bagel cafe has always been my favorite place to go for bagels and when they started doing pizza i went man this is unbelievable they do an unbelievable deep dish style pizza many people think of you know the the thin uh, napolitano style uh i love the the thick Sicilian style pizza. It's wood fired. Myers Bagel Cafe. Myers wood fired. Breakfast and lunch sandwiches. Unbelievably creative menu. You got to check out their own smoked meats that they do. And of course, the bagels. Why are they different? Well, they're, they're, they're wood fired. They're hand rolled individually by hand. No machine does this. And then they're boiled in honey water. Fantastic, delicious. They'll do mail order. They're open from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. daily. They're on Facebook and Instagram, Myers Bagels BTV. Check them out and get on in there and check out some great food. Myers Bagel, Myers Wood Fired Pizza, South Burlington. All right, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with Thea Lewis, Queen City Ghost Walk on Travels with Charlie, WDEV. The waste and resource management industry is a complex, integrated system that many people and communities take for granted. 
trash, recycling, compost, we're all familiar with the terms, but maybe not the truths behind the waste industry. Want to learn more? Beyond the Bin is a podcast by Casella, which shines a light on what really happens to our waste and recycling. If you're interested in environmental sustainability and renewable resources, then check out this podcast. You'll learn about waste and recycling, meet members of the Casella team, and one episode even deals with beekeeping. Check it out online at www.casella.com forward slash beyond the bin. Welcome back. Travels with Charlie, your host, Charlie Papillo, and my guest this afternoon for the first uh, segment is Thea Lewis from Queen City Ghost Walk. Many of you may know her from Queen City Ghost Walk, also author of six books, her latest book, True Crime Stories of Burlington, Vermont. Thank you for joining me in studio today, Thea. I'm so tickled to be here. So uh, I, want, I want to let people know, too, about uh, this book is out. Uh, the official launch is on September 25th. That's uh, on a Monday. Mm-hmm. You know, typically people do, you know, Thea's not going to do a thing at 2 in the afternoon. This is, you know, spooky stuff, right? 7 o'clock at night at uh, Phoenix Bookstore, right? Well, that's right. And so the way they're working it is you can actually go online now to phoenixbooks.biz and you'll find me in the list of events that are coming up. And they've got a place where you can register for the event. It's three bucks, but that's going to go to charity. Yeah. But you also get a coupon for your three bucks um, and um, you get to apply that to a book that you buy. Nice. Uh, one of my books. And I'm happy to sign your book or autograph it to anybody you like. And uh, And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's talk about some of the stories in the book, uh, specifically uh, one that uh, you know many people uh, our age uh, will remember, of course, uh, is the, the, the murder of Rita Coran, which, interestingly enough, you're writing the book about this incident, and the crime is solved. It's like 50 years later, right? Yeah, absolutely floored me. Did that me. surprise you? It really did surprise me because it had gone on so long, and I remember back in 2016, there were some pieces in the news about how they were talking about putting together DNA evidence. And, you know, we've got back when Rita Curran was murdered, there was very scant yes. sort of availability for DNA evidence. And I, I mentioned that in the story. You have to, you know, you have to take what you had. And, you know, one of the officers here took it to Washington. Yeah. And so with the availability of DNA evidence, they were talking about, oh, they might solve this crime. Ted Bundy early on was a suspect. Yeah. Um, now Ted Bundy, you mentioned Ted Bundy, uh, and some people may know this, uh, you know, whether it came through a you know a trivia contest or something. But, <laughs> but he had uh, roots in Burlington. He right? had roots in Burlington, yeah. and I and I write about that a little bit in the book. Uh, Ted Bundy, of course, one of the most famous serial killers anybody has ever read about. Yeah. Uh, quite a charming guy. Whenever somebody uh, you know commits a murder and someone has their finger pointed at them and they say, "Oh, now it couldn't be him." Such a nice guy. Oh, when you look yeah. at pictures of him, he oh, was yeah. you know, the kid next door, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Ted Bundy was the kid next door, and he used that opportunistically to be able to sway people uh, to help him. Many times he would pretend that he had a cast on his arm or leg and that he mm. was incapacitated, and then the Good Samaritan would end up dying by his hand. Now, one of the um, chapters, uh, a very cold case. Oh, yeah. Angela Belisle. Some yeah. people may remember this one as well. Happened in 1981 in Burlington. 62 Brooks Ave. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the case is not closed, but 
not solved either, but very mysterious. I mean, nobody has any idea. She was shot twice, and at first they didn't think she was shot, right? Right. They didn't think uh, the gentleman, the young man who encountered her as he walked along the street on that snowy morning, thought that it was a mannequin in the snow. And then upon closer examination, he realized it wasn't, runs to the home of a neighbor. Um, that's it. That's such a crazy story for me. And when I started researching it, just the, the parallels um, between the Rita Curran murder, Rita Curran, 17 Brooks Avenue, yeah. a teacher, and then 10 years later, Angela Belisle, yeah. 62 Brooks Avenue, a teacher. It just seemed odd to have two murders on the same street, two teachers. Of course, they're not connected, but what a weird coincidence. Now, the um, we mentioned earlier about you being familiar with some of the perpetrators uh, of these crimes, and yeah. one of them in particular, Chapter 17, uh, with a baseball bat is with the name of the bat. name of that chapter. It reminds me of a Robert De Niro line, but yeah. maybe they shouldn't bring that up. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. I used to get in trouble for playing that one every once in a while. Uh, her name was Ellen Ducharme. Right. Correct? Right. And how did you know her? She was um, on the fringes of so many family gatherings or or even closer sometimes family gatherings. She was a young woman. Um, I used to own a home in the Old North End. Uh, family lived kind of scattered around the Old yep. North End. When we would get together, she was someone who um, knew my sister pretty well. They were closer in age. Uh, Ellen was yeah. much younger than I was. Um, but kind of a, you know, I've since... I've learned since the times that I was able to sort of socialize with her that she had a terrible upbringing. She had yeah. uh, a family life that was not optimal, if I can say. And she was an habitual offender who it doesn't seem like had many resources to stop the pattern of the the pattern of, of uh, criminal activity that she was in. Yeah. She's yeah. in prison now, right? She is in prison yeah. now. Yeah. Have you heard from any anyone that you wrote about? Uh, have they contacted you? Did you have to contact them and say, I'm going to, do you need to get permission to write about them? No, I didn't no? get permission to write about them. You don't need anything, to, right? Anything that I, any information that uh, that's in the book is information that's readily available to anybody who wants to piece together the research. Yeah. But, um, you know, when you do piece together, together that research, in some cases, it's just a hell of a story. Yeah. How long did it take you to put this book together? Oh, boy. I think that all told, I worked on the book with research and actual sitting down and writing it probably about 11 months. Yeah. I was doing other things. I was yeah. doing other things at no, the same time. Now that time. actually seems like a pretty short, short amount of yeah. time. Uh, two four four seventeen seventy seven or one eight seven seven two nine one eight two five five. If you want to talk with my guest this afternoon, Thea Lewis from Queen City Ghost Walk, along with uh, her latest book, True Crime Stories of Burlington, Vermont. Uh, I have to get into another person that you were familiar with. It seems kind of interesting and strange in some ways, but um, Sam Wright. What can you tell us about Sam Wright and what he did? Sam Wright Jr. You know, it's funny. Um, you worked next to him, right? I worked next to him. People who are familiar with the Burlington area and the old Burlington Square Mall, yeah. they will remember that there was, uh, you know, as my grandmother would say, side by each. There was a bakery <laughs> and there was a candy store. Was it downstairs? It was downstairs, yeah. right across yeah. from the old Woolworths exit. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, the, the uh, bakery was a little closer to the food court proper, whatever. But um, we knew the people at the bakery very well. And um, I managed the candy store. And I had many, many brief conversations with Sam. He was one of those people, too. Uh, You could tell that he, um, he, you could tell that he was fairly narcissistic, 
thought a lot of himself. Yeah. Um, which Did you ever think he was capable of, of murder? No, I never would have, I never would have thought anything like that. And once again, you know, you look at somebody and they're uh, somewhat gregarious. They seem to have a good sense of themselves, but yeah. confident in a position there, certainly where he's dealing with the public. And I, and even though, uh, over my lifetime, I'd certainly met charming people who were up to no good. I never really had a second thought about him. But when the news came out and it turned out that the police had apprehended him, I was, I was so, I was kind of over, overwhelmed for a little while. Yeah. I thought, wow, this is a guy who, uh. And you've worked next to him. You're wondering, right you know, this could have happened to me maybe, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to make that leap because, you know, if he happened to be closing up at night and I was closing up at night, if security was in the wrong place at the wrong time, who knows? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think at the point I actually worked Beside him, though, uh, it sounds like he had gotten a little bit deeper and deeper into maybe the, the drug scene in Burlington yeah. and certainly may have been a little bit more desperate than he was at the time I at the time I was associated with him uh, through working next to him. Yeah. Now, you get into in one of the chapters, you get into a, a number of stories. You call it uh, from the police blotter, which is kind of interesting. They're just kind of little, <laughs> you know, people used to do segments. On, I think it was Howie Carr, the great Howie Carr used to do a police blotter fax Friday where people would fax in stories about things that happened in their community. And, and well, you sort of do that, you know, ranging from uh, chicken th- thievery oh, to, to potato rustlers. You know, this is going back in the old days, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, fascinatingly enough, the chicken thief is the son of Miss May B, the, the waterfront woman who couldn't get along with her neighbors. And the thing I love about the chicken thief is, I mean, you know, he, he was so good at it. And um, and most people were were willing to keep it on the down low because yeah. his prices were so good. Well, the, the, <laughs> so. the well, yeah. Uh, I won't get into it. I knew, yeah. Actually, I knew a guy in, uh, in the Boston area that used to sell, uh, you know, pork loins and oh, stuff. Oh, boy. You, you know, he worked in the meat department and he'd show up, you know, man, we used to make stew with filet mignon, you know. Nothing like, like that secondhand meat. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the potato oh. rustlers that you write about, you know, talk about oh, uh, covering their tracks. Yeah. I mean, who, who would do that, right? I mean, just steal the potatoes and leave a mess, but they put the plants back in the yeah. ground, right? It's just, it's just too funny. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just, all of those little stories, all of the, all of those little stories are just captivating to me. And those are stories that you're, you're like, you know, Thea, where do you do your research? There's the old Burlington Daily News and yeah. the old Burlington Free Press. And you and just find these stories. Sometimes I would find them because I would be looking for another story. Yeah. And I'd be scrolling and I'd see something and I'd say, oh, wait, hold on just a second. What the heck is this? And I'd say, oh, I have to include that story. That's just too bizarre. Now, let's talk about the death penalty in Vermont. Right. With um, the last woman. Oh, yeah. And so this is a a hanging mm-hmm. and, and it's a young woman. Right. And she claimed that she was pregnant. She did. She did. She was, you know, she was a character who was... Um, she had a lot of mental illness going on from back in her childhood, and she was uh, also a narcissist, an opportunist, and I think that really she would say anything to be able to thwart the authorities once yeah. she had been captured and and had been put in prison. Um, but I also think that word got to her probably through the people, you know, through the people who were um, 
you know, the different, the different guards and, um, female wardens, um, news probably got to her that she was becoming a big name, not just in Vermont, but there were people in California who were requesting clemency for her and, um, the governor wasn't having it. Yeah. He's like, no, you know. Now she, this was back in 1905. It was a public hanging. And it was a public hanging. Yeah. And, and, and hangings back then. I mean, people, you know, well, you who say, was here? Here's the interesting part about it. Um, you know, they released the trap door. And yeah. whoever made the noose and everything, right? Yeah. The the rope was too long. Right. It didn't hang her. This happened so many times back when hangings were were in use in Vermont as a means of capital punishment. I mean, there are they're just grisly tales of people who you think, oh, you know, you see it on TV, people yeah. hang and no. their neck breaks. It was no, basically, no, no. as you write yeah. in the in the chapter, it was a fourteen minute strangulation. A fourteen minute strangulation, yeah. which. Um, did she deserve that? I don't think so. I mean, that's a pretty harsh way to go. Speaking of uh, executions, and we'll do this uh, for our final uh, discussion here this afternoon with Thea Lewis, and maybe we'll have a little little bit of fun with it. I, you, know, yeah. it's not, you know, we're talking about somebody getting electrocuted, uh, but uh, it's called the last meal. The last meal. Uh, and you often ask this question on your true crime tour: What would be your last meal if you were convicted of a heinous crime? Yeah. What would your last meal be? I got to tell you, I get the craziest answers from people on my tour. I, you know, usually a, a couple of stories before the story that this deals with, mm-hmm. which is Donald DeMag, who was an uh, incredible character. Um, just I could not believe some of the hijinks he got, he got up to. But, you know, I'll, I'll ask them and some people will say something complicated. Some people say pizza. But one guy just shrugged and said bourbon. Bourbon. <laughs> but my last meal. I've thought about this a little bit. Yeah. So my last meal would start with hand-cut potato chips with creme fraiche and caviar. Wow. And then I would move on to prime rib, rare, Mm. with mashed potatoes and gravy. Wow. Uh Uh-huh. And um, dessert would be monument... It would be Monument Farms chocolate milk creme brulee. <laughs> they make that. They make that in town um, at the Daily Planet, and so that would be dessert. I don't know how anybody could eat a meal knowing that in just moments you're going to be electrocuted, injected, yeah. or hung. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I would. But tend people to, do that. I mean, people there's, do. People have written books about the last meal. So and some of these stories are just amazing. Some of the things that uh, that, that these people request, and they get it too. Well, what would your last meal be, Charlie? That's interesting because, uh, um, you know, I was asked that before a long time ago. My son said, I'm going to write a book called, uh, you know, Your Last Meal. And just, ask, you know, what would your last meal be? And mine would actually be a very simple meal. And it would go back to the roots. I remember my dad used to make, you know, of Italian descent, uh, 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 pasta vazoo, ah, and, yeah. you know, or beans and macaroni, as we used to call it, you know, with mm-hmm. white kidney beans with uh, spaghetti and and olive oil and garlic and mm. and a ton of of crushed red pepper and pecorino romano cheese. Ah. And uh, to me, that was like I just I loved that meal. I loved that meal, and I said, you know what? If that was my last meal, I just want to. That would be my last meal. That's, that. Sometimes that's all you need. Yeah. It's just something as simple yeah. as that. Yeah. It's been great talking with you today. Great and, talking and, with you. And great seeing you again, Thea. Good luck with uh, the new book. Oh, oh, by the way, I, I have to mention that, you know, you've written six books, but uh, one of the favorite books in my house, of course, is um, a children's book. There's a witch 
in my sock drawer. Yeah. And when you wrote that, you wrote, you signed it and you gave it to my granddaughter, Rose. And we still read it occasionally. She's seven years old. I told her that I was going to see you today. And she was just so (laughs) wide eyed, like, you know, that person really exists. I said, yeah, you know, she wrote that book. That's so great. And she, and she gets mad because uh, when I read stories to her, I do them as characters. I, when I read each different part and I may add some other things that she's got to the point now where she knows where I'm adding and that's not in the story. Oh boy. And I usually get chastised. So oh gosh. Kids will, kids will pin you every I'm, time. I'm stepping, sure. stepping on your story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's okay. You remember, uh, Emmett Hellrich who worked with yes. the Burlington Police yeah, Department. Yeah. His son Jack got a copy of the book and we ran into one another, uh, Emmett and I at some Channel 3 function years ago and he said, Oh, Thea. Jack wants me to read that book every night. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, it's a great book, but it's long. <laughs> if, if you'd like to know more about uh, the, the ghost uh, tours, the ghost walk tours, are you still doing them? You're doing them until the middle of October? We're doing, yeah. We've got a couple coming up this week. We've got one coming up Friday night at 7, Saturday night at 7, our Darkness Falls tours. And we're going to be headed right through Halloween. All right. Okay. And you used to do the um, the Rocky Horror Picture Show thing. Remember Rocky that? Rocky Horror Picture Show. The jury is still out on that because yeah. we've got a couple of other special events that are going to be taking up some of my time. One is the Here for the Booze event that we're going to yep. be doing at Three Needs. And the other one is a um, bus tour of the University of Vermont, UVM's Most Haunted. And um, that's going to be a lot of fun. And But it's taking up. Everything takes time, right? Yeah. It's all time. QueenCityGhostWalk.com for that's more it. information on the tours and uh, PhoenixBooks.biz if you want to order the latest book. And don't forget the book signing and launch on Monday the 25th at 7 o'clock at Phoenix Bookstore. That's see it. See ya. Great to see you today. Good Great luck with everything. You. Take care. All right. And we'll look forward to talking with you again soon. Oh, I'd love it. Take care. All right, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back. We've got the the giant pumpkin weighing contest coming up at Sam Maz's this weekend, and we're going to talk with Kevin Companion of the Giant Pumpkin Growers Association, and we'll find out what, all about that straight ahead right here on, on WDEV. <laughs> Whether you're traveling for a vacation, planning a business trip, or have a global company looking for a strong Vermont-based company to align with for business and meeting management, Milne Travel is a trusted local partner, and they've been one since 1975. Milne Travel is one of the top travel companies based in New England. Featuring educational tours, vacation travel, or corporate solutions, let their travel specialists search the lowest airfares exclusive to the travel industry for you. Guaranteed. We're all getting ready to travel again. Save time and money on your next trip. Go to www.millnetravel.com. Welcome back. Good afternoon. Travels with Charlie, your host, Charlie Papilla, with you this afternoon. Thank you for joining me. And my next guest is with the Vermont... uh, Pumpkin Growers Association, the Giant Pumpkin Growers Association, Kevin Companion. Good afternoon, Kevin. Welcome to Travels with Charlie. Hey, Kev. Oh, we just lost Kevin. He'll be right back with us here in just a moment. Uh, seems to have dropped off. Must be a cell phone. We need more cell towers in Vermont. Well, anyway, I will tell you this. The, uh, the Giant Pumpkin Growers Association of Vermont, they've got a big event coming up. And it's this weekend at Sam Mazza's farm. It's, uh, on Levine Road in Colchester. I've been there for a number of these, 
these uh, contests, and this is just amazing. You know, they start bringing the pumpkins in around 10 o'clock in the morning, and then at noontime, they start weighing them. Some of them, you look at them, they're as big as a Volkswagen Beetle. I mean, they are just just huge. And it's not just pumpkins. They bring in uh, other uh, types of vegetables like gourds and things like that. So um, lots to talk about. And Kevin joins us on the phone line here. We got Kev? Yes, Charlie. Go ahead. Kevin, how you doing? Good to talk with you again. I'm doing well, Charlie. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. First, I got to say congratulations to you. Uh, you took a first place ribbon at the Champlain Valley Fair with a 1,011 pound pumpkin. Yeah, we, we won, but we were, we were a little smaller than we usually are, but I guess everybody was this year. Yeah, let's, let's talk about that, uh, Kev, because the rain, you know, you, one would think, well, if you get a lot of rain, the crops are going to grow like crazy. But uh, it's it's been a strange year. We've had a lot of flooding, so maybe some uh, pumpkins have been in areas that got flooded. But how has the, the weather and the rain affected the year's crops? I think it's really hurt it. I really do. Uh, we had a lot, all that rain, Charlie, but we really didn't get a lot of sunshine. You know, and sunshine is what makes it all work. And we just didn't get it. Yeah. So, you know, the combination of too much rain and not enough sun not doing it. Uh, and, you know, to to point that out, uh, you know, you won first place this year with a 1,000-pound pumpkin, and it was in 2019. You took uh, a prize of uh, 1,727 pounds. In 2022, 1,184 pounds. So, man, just, uh, you know, all over the place here. And there, and there have been some that have been even bigger than that, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, especially for, okay, some of the people last couple of years that have come down from New Hampshire, they brought in over 2,300-pound pumpkins. Wow. So the weigh-in is at Sam Maz's. It's this Saturday. Now, here's an interesting point, and many people may not get this. Like, for instance, somebody's at the, uh, you know, the Tunbridge Fair or the Topsfield Fair, and they bring a, a pumpkin in and gets weighed, and it, and it wins. That is disqualified. You cannot bring it to uh, another event. You can't bring it to this event. Am I correct? That's correct. That's correct. Uh, once a pumpkin's been weighed, it's basically done. Okay, you weigh them once and that's it. So someone doesn't get a real monster and just drive around and, you know, win everything in sight and, you know, collect whatever they can on it. Now, what would happen to one of these pumpkins over the course of a couple of weeks? For instance, uh, you have a 1,727-pound pumpkin. It gets weighed. And then two weeks later, does it, and it's no longer connected to the vine, does it weigh less? I mean, does it lose weight? Does it gain weight? What happens to them? Well, they keep losing as they dry out. Yeah. As a matter of fact, you know, I've seen them lose, uh, oh, four or five pounds sometimes if you cut them like the day before early and it sits in the sun. Mm -hmm. They'll lose four or five pounds in one day by the time you get to the scale. Now, are any of these uh, veggies good for eating, Kevin? Not really, Charlie. Um, you know, these are, these are really thick walled. Some, some people make some breads out of them and things, but as a rule, you normally like the sugar pies better. They have much more sugar content, you know, and the flesh is much, um, it's much more dense. Okay, yeah, it's, a, it's harder, you know, yeah. more of a cooking pumpkin. Now, Thea reminded me, my uh, previous guest, Thea Lewis, reminded me that uh, I was actually in a pumpkin regatta. I forget how many years ago in ESPN. Oh, yeah. If you Google it, uh, I think there's a YouTube video. ESPN covered it. They came to Burlington and they covered it. And uh, these hollowed out gourds or pumpkins that we sat in. 
and we had a race on the waterfront in Burlington. I didn't win anything, and I, but I didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't capsize. I, I did, uh, I did bring it in, but uh, all I remember is sitting inside this gourd, and it was just a slimy mess. <laughs> but they float. <laughs> they do. They turn them upside down, cut a big hole in the bottom. As a matter of fact, you know, our club, the Mont Giant Pumpkin Growers. We sponsored all the pumpkins for that, okay? Our competition was on Saturday, and we lugged them all down here and helped them get them in the water and open them up, okay, for Sundays. Okay, regatta. Yeah. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I do recall that. Uh, my guest this afternoon. Money, I believe, for charity on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I recall that, yeah. Uh, Kevin Companion with me of the uh, Giant Pumpkin Growers Association, uh, vermontgiants.tripod.com for more information. If you have a question for Kevin, we'd love to hear from you, 244-1777. That's 802-244-1777. That's important. If you're using your cell phone here with uh, in the area now, if you don't have the 802 in front of it, the call won't go through. 802-244-1777. And let's see if we can get some tips from Kevin on how to grow our veggies. Um, you know, Kevin, I don't know, are, are, are they secrets? I mean, do you share these secrets? You don't just grab a pumpkin that typically you see at a supermarket or at a, at a farm stand, you know, a 20 or 25-pound pumpkin, and turn it into a 1,700-pound pumpkin. You got to do, is it miracle Grow? Is it compost? What is it? It's a combination, Charlie, okay, of a lot of things. First of all, you need, okay, a giant pumpkin seed. No matter how good of a grower you are, if you don't have a seed that's going to produce a 1,500 or 2,000-pound pumpkin, you're not going to get it. You can have the best soil in the world, the best conditions, but the seed's genetics say you're going to get a 25-pound pumpkin, that's what you're going to get. So number one, you've got to have a quality seed. Okay. Then you have so, to have a lot of water, yep. water it, you know, and you have to have you know, your soil balance with the proper pH and everything else. Okay, to really get the big ones. You know, you can do a backyard thing and, yeah. you know, throw some manure and some compost in there. You know, you can get a five, 600-pound pumpkin quite easily, actually. So it's a lot of care, too, right, Kevin? I mean, you don't just um, – you're probably out there babying it every day, I would imagine. Well, to get to the really big, you know, pumpkins, yes. You know, you're working on it every day. You're bearing vines to uh, create more, root, okay, root growth. You know, you're watering it continuously. You know, you're trimming off all the little side vines, they're called tertiary vines, you know, that yeah. don't do anything. And and once you set a fruit, you're cutting off all the flowers because you want everything to go to that one pumpkin. I see. So, so you know, one plant isn't going to have numerous pumpkins. It's going to have a single pumpkin. One plant, one pumpkin. So would the same be true? I know at the Champlain Valley Fair, they, uh, the, they have the competition. It's not just pumpkins. They had other vegetables and that's, you know, you are giant uh, vegetable growers association. I think there was an eight pound, uh, tomato there, if I'm not mistaken. That might have even been a prize. Yeah. John Young usually brings those in. Okay. Those are Wilbur Horton. Yeah. Normally brings them in, but, um, yeah, there's giant zucchinis and giant pumpkins. We have the largest field pumpkin and things. And, uh, you know, a lot of those are just grown. Okay, John, you know, and those people, they, they just grow the, okay, tomatoes competitively. But a lot of the field pumpkins you see in zucchinis come in gardens on just something that got away. 
you know, someone will look under and see a giant zucchini and bring it in. Yeah. Uh, that's the way those work on a lot of those. And that kind of happens, uh, you know, I, I, I dabble, I guess, in gardening and vegetable gardening. I, I typically do uh, cucumbers and, you know, there's always that one cucumber that you don't notice and then you go out there and you go, oh man, you know, and you're not eating it because it's, it's all seed. The thing is, it's the size of a football. <laughs> you know, zucchinis and, and the cucumbers are normally the things that sneak out on you. you know, yeah. they, they just hide on you, and then you notice them. Yeah, that, but you've had some gourds, and we talk about uh, it isn't even about weight. It's about length. I mean, and I've seen some of these. I don't even know how you transport them. You've, you've had, uh, you know, 20 or 30-foot uh, gourds, it seems, at some time. Well, it's funny watching uh, John Young this year bring his name up again Yeah, when he brings in his almost 19-foot sunflower in a six-foot bed of a truck, you know, when he has 13 feet hanging out of the back of the truck. I it, saw uh, that, uh, Kevin. In fact... Know, it just sits there, and it, it looks like a surfboard and a wave going <laughs> up and down. And just, you just, okay, just wait for it to break off, but it doesn't. He, he had to tie it to uh, two-by-fours, I believe. He used ribbon and, and tied it to two-by-fours and brought it into... Yeah. The, and, and that was a prize, right? He won a prize, a 19-foot sunflower. Yeah, he... Uh, he not only set the fair record, he reset the state record also that that day, that night. I can't even imagine how do you do that without staking it outside. Did, did do you know? Did he stake it outside at all? I don't believe he does. I don't believe he does. I know a lot of people. They'll grow up next to a side of a barn or a house, you know, that's really peaked up, so they can sort of lean it against it and support it, but. That's a long ways up there for the wind not to knock it down. Yeah, I would, uh, man, you wait for an, a good windstorm, and uh, you're thinking you're going to be bringing this in for a competition, and you could lose it in a minute. Kevin Companion, my guest this afternoon on Travels with Charlie. Kevin is with the uh, Giant Pumpkin Growers Association. They've got their big event coming up this Saturday at Sam Maz's. Noontime is when the weigh-in starts, and people will start bringing their pumpkins in right around 10 o'clock. Kevin, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll talk more with you about uh, this uh, this sport of uh, growing large vegetables. All right, so stay right where you are. We'll be right back. Travels with Charlie, WDEV. When I'm on the road, I don't have to look very far for a place to fill my gas tank or my belly. Jolly Convenience Stores, with over 40 locations to choose from, makes it easy. Fuel for your car, fresh-made sandwiches, soft drinks, hot coffee, pastries, friendly service, and even creamies. Jolly Convenience Stores supports your community by sponsoring events, veteran organizations, and more. That's why I support them, and you should too. Stop in today. Jolly Convenience Stores, home of the Daily Smile. Back with you. Good afternoon. Travels with Charlie, your host, Charlie Papillo. We're talking with uh, Kevin Companion of the Giant Pumpkin Growers Association. Kevin, thanks for staying with us this afternoon. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, the competition coming up this Saturday at Sam Mazza's in Colchester. Now, how many years have you been doing these uh, competitions, uh, Kevin, the the association? Um, We've been doing them, okay, well over 20 years now. And has it always been open to not just pumpkins, but uh, other vegetables as well? We'll pretty well weigh anything that's a heavy, uh, a giant vegetable, um, from zucchinis, long gourds, tomatoes. Yep. You know, if they're smaller, we go into Sam Maz's and we use their, their digital scale, you know, because a tenth of a pound or 
you know, okay, whatever can mean a big difference on those. So, yeah, we'll weigh almost anything. Sure. So uh, now here's a question. Uh, you, you know, yesterday I was uh, doing my show prep and my granddaughter was with me. And I was explaining to her, um, you know, what I was doing. She's seven years old. Her name is Rose. She's been to the the pumpkin weighing uh, at uh, at Sam Mazza's before. And I said, you know, I'm going to have somebody on from the the Pumpkin Growers Association. What should I ask him? And man, I'll tell you, you know, she thought of a question that I'd never thought of. Uh, I've, I mean, I've seen them arrive on the trucks. I've seen them take them off the trucks uh, and place them down there. But she wanted to know. Um, how do you move them? You know, here you are, you're, you're, you've got it in your backyard. How do you pick them up? How do you cradle them? How do you baby them? Because one, one wrong move, you drop one of them and goodbye contest. There goes your season. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You can't bring it in in pieces. No. So in whole, you know, but uh, what we do, Charlie, is we have a harness that fits on the tractor. It's a round ring, and there's eight straps that hang off it. Yeah. And they dangle over the pumpkin, and they're looped on the bottom. So we put a tie rope through those loops, pull it tight around the round part of the pumpkin on the bottom, and we sling it right off the ground, slide the pallet underneath it, and lift the pallet into the truck. Have so you when ever- they go to Sam's, what they do is, is okay, they've got the forklift. They just yep. lift the pallet off and set it on the ground, and then we pick it up the same way and bring it over to the scale. Have you ever and, dropped um, one, Kev? No, <laughs> I never we had one one time uh, down at my sister's. We were walking out in front of it and her husband was in back of us with the skid steer and the tie rope we had left, just tucked into the pumpkin and it was long and it slipped off and the front tire caught the tie rope and uh, untied the knot and we heard thunk. Oh, and, not good. Uh, yeah. Not good. Yeah, we lost that one. Yeah. That was our fault. That was on us. But, now, uh, Kevin, these... No, to say that, we lost when we haven't, so that's good. These pumpkins grow so fast, and I know you've documented, uh, like, the number of pounds that they can grow in a single day. You know, one would think, you know, growing that fast... How does their their skin doesn't crack? I mean, are you able to do you do you put some sort of a preservative on the skin? Are there things that are not allowed within the competition? We don't put anything on the pumpkin itself, but we shade it. We can keep it out of the sun. You either build a shade structure over it, or a lot of us use a white sheet to keep the direct sun off the pumpkin from getting sun scald on it and things. I see. Okay, and and it works out pretty good. You know they. They get fine little cracks anyways in the end, some of them, no matter what you do, you know, but they sort of callous over. It's called cantaloping on it. And, you know, it just makes the skin really, really rough. But, you know, they normally don't split open too often like that. You know, they'll crack sometimes when they mm-hmm. grow so fast or whatever because they can grow 45 to 50 pounds a day. So you know, anyone that, really cranking. Uh, Kevin, any, anyone that's interested in doing this as a, as a hobby, as a sport, or maybe they, you know, they want to compete as a sport, they want to get into it for next year. Um, how do they find out more? Do they go to vermontgiants.tripod.com and, and, and what about getting the seeds? Because as you mentioned, you don't just get a, you know, a, a regular a pack of seeds. You have to get some seeds that genetically came from one of these uh, giant pumpkins. Well, we're one of the okay, few clubs still that hand out seeds to members every year. Every member, um, you know, we get people that donate them to us, and the okay, growers in the club do it also. As we send them a seed packet every year, and it might have, uh, you know, giant long gourds in it or giant field pumpkins and, okay, giant squash, whatever. It's, it's an assortment of seeds, and we mail that out to every member, okay, that we collect. 
you know, but a lot of times, you know, all I have to do is ask the club, you know, and, you know, we'll fix them with some seeds. There's sure. always someone who's got some seeds hanging around. You yeah. know, I'm more than glad to give them to people if I have any extras or whatever. I, I don't have a problem doing yeah. that. If they're going to plant them, just if they're going to throw them in a drawer, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, no, but if they're going to plant them, I'm, I'm glad to give seeds to a grower. No, no pun intended, but is it a growing sport? Are you finding that more youth are getting involved now? And if not, how can yeah. we encourage them to do that? That's a good question, Charlie. You know, with a lot of things, um, you know, every now and we're seeing, you know, younger guys getting into it, you know, and, and women also. Mm-hmm. But um, just, uh, no, it's an older group right now. It's an older group right now. And basically in our club, it's an older group that sort of runs it, you know, the, you know, like it's the same people that do the same thing every year. Sure. You know how it is when yeah. you're part of a club. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, maybe you'll inspire more people, more young kids to get involved if they come out to Sam Mazza's in Colchester this weekend, 10 o'clock, with the drive-ins and then the weigh-in competition starts at noontime. That's at Sam Mazza's on Blakely Road in Colchester, VermontGiants.Tripod.com for more information. Kevin, thank you for joining me this afternoon on Travels with Charlie. Charlie, good hearing from you. All right, good to talk with you. I want to ma- mention, of course, uh, Travels with Charlie is sponsored by Casella Way Systems, Jolly Convenience Stores, Milne Travel, Myers Bagel Cafe. My theme song is written and performed by Billy Bratcher. My executive producer is Brad Ferland. Running the board today, Danny McGivern. I'm Charlie Papillo. I'll see you in my travels on the next show, September 25th, with the folks from 802 Quits. Have a great day.